Welcome to the Plan Simple Podcast. I am your host, Mia Moran. Moms have the power to change the future, but not if we're stressed out and exhausted. Looking at food, lifestyle, spirituality, and work, the Plan Simple Podcast is for busy moms who want to create a healthier and happier future. Listen in for inspirational conversations and valuable strategies to plan for your best life. Welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. Boy, are you guys in for a treat. I am so super excited and honored to welcome Dr. Michael Thompson to the show. I have been an admirer of his for a long time. I've read his books. I've heard him speak. And I was super excited to be able to record this episode with him. I have to say, I met him in person and he did this interview and he actually came to my house, which is not a way that I normally do podcast interviews. So we sat in what I call the art room, which used to be a dining room, but now we have crafts in the shelves and we have a table that we can get messy. And we sat there because it's a round table around my microphone, which is how I'm recording this, but I had never done it with two people before. So The sound is not perfect, but the content is so good that I hope you love it. And it's not crackly or anything. It's just the volume changes a little, and we tried to fix it as much as we could in post-production. But you guys are going to love this episode. You're in for a treat. So Michael Thompson is a psychologist specializing in children and families, and I'd say he's pretty well known for specializing in boys. He's the author of Best Friends, Worst Enemies, Understanding the Social Lives of Children, Raising Cain, Protecting the Emotional Life of Boys, and Speaking of Boys, Answers to the Most Asked Questions About Raising Sons, among others. He gave a fantastic talk this spring, which is where I met him in person, about anxiety and how as parents we can pass that back to our kids and that's we're raising anxious kids and stress. And so I asked him about that on this interview, but everything in here, it's just such great nuggets. I'd say especially if you have boys, but really for any of us. I mean, I have one boy and two girls. And I have to say that I recorded this interview. We talked about a month ago, but as I'm doing this intro, I listened to the interview again. And this week has been kind of cray cray over here. So I don't know if I've told you guys this on the podcast. I know I've talked about it on social, but my 14 year old dropped a weight on his foot in right before school ended in May. He couldn't go on his eighth grade trip He was on crutches when he graduated from eighth grade, and he's had kind of a bum summer. He was planning on playing a lot of sports, which haven't always been his thing, but he really wanted to play sports in high school, and he was trying to train. And it's been a big weight. I've definitely felt it. And we'll talk in this episode about fixing things. And I have to say, all I've wanted to do is fix everything for the past month, and I can't. So I'm trying to find my pace through that, what that looks like, how I can relax, how I can get work done, because I find I'm just constantly thinking about how I can make my kids' lives better, and that's not always what we're supposed to do. Then this week, my 12-year-old, who is my adventurer and always wants to be with other people, called homesick from camp, which literally never happens. 
um, saying she missed us and she missed our hugs, which is all really great. But of course, again, I had this like mama moment of, oh my God, I wish I could be there. And it's, you know, five hours away. So I really felt this week, everything that Michael was saying, and I can't remember if he says it in the podcast, but he says it in life. And he said it in our conversation that summer camp is really important for parents to send their kids to. Now it's about a gajillion dollars. So it's definitely not possible for everybody. And, you know, we just sent one this year, but it is amazing for kids to experience time alone. I've also sent kids to my parents one by one or to aunts and or uncles one by one, which I know is a little bit different than camp and that it's family, but it is different. And I find that kids can be different people. My kids can be different people when they're with those people. There's different rules and it's interesting to watch them navigate. And I'm hoping that that does the same thing that Michael's talking about. But I also got a lot of listener questions for this interview. So it's interesting. I hope it flows okay. We, I asked him a lot of questions. I tried to fit in everything that everybody asked me. And he's just such a wealth of information. And if anything comes up from this episode that you're wanting to know more, I'm sure he would answer those questions for us one way or another. So leave a comment on Instagram under this episode or email us at mia at plansimplemeals.com and we'll figure out a way to get that question answered because this man's got some great answers. And I think it's so, so important at this juncture that we really are raising good boys. And he gets into this episode of how that might not actually be exactly what we're thinking when we think about that, because that doesn't mean making feminine boys. And it's just, it was an interesting conversation. So I'm super excited for you to hear it. And so we're going to get there in one, one second, I promise. And actually, if anyone listening has little, little ones, even babies, I feel like this episode is still really good because he talks a lot about, or we talk a lot about the role of a parent And though we do focus on sort of the tween teen years in our talk, I've talked to a lot of parents over the course of the past month who are either pregnant, have a new baby, or have little ones, and are really worried about how they're losing themselves in that. And I think this is a really important episode for that too, because really what Michael is saying is, you know, we can't lose ourselves in that, that that's not our job and that actually we're doing much more service to our kids when we can take good care of ourselves and be unstressed, somewhat relaxed human beings. All right. And then the last thing I need to say about having Michael on the show is, yay, we have a man. I don't always have men and that is not necessarily, well, it is a little bit on purpose, but I started this show really because I wanted women to be sharing stories with women. Um, But as we've grown, I definitely know there's a lot of dads out there listening, and I do think it's important to have all perspectives, and so we will be getting more men on the show, and I just wanted to make sure that we also highlighted all these amazing women who have become experts in their fields at the same time. All right, so any other notes do I have for you? This episode is great as we transition into the fall. I'm going to actually up the podcast episodes as we transition into the fall to a couple more times a week, and I'm going to experiment with doing mini episodes. I realized the other day that I have lots of thoughts, and I would 
love you guys. I would love to be able to serve them up to you guys. It's sort of like the doable changes, but a little bit more drawn out. And I've got some great ideas for the transition from summer to fall. So that's going to be sort of where we kick off. And if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please, pretty please go leave a review on iTunes. We're really trying to up the reviews. It ups the engagement. It makes more people be able to see us on iTunes, which then enables us to have even better guests, or we have great guests, but enables us to get more and more guests. Um, Influencers really like to see the numbers. They like to see that people are listening. And I know that there's a lot of you listening who haven't left a review yet. So if you're feeling like you can do that today, it might take a few minutes just because iTunes is always changing how it's designed. But basically, if you go back to the main episode uh, or the main podcast, you sort of have to get back to the podcast view and you click on it, you'll see a way to leave a review. And I would greatly appreciate that. All right, you guys, let's get Michael on the show. Hello, Michael Thompson. I'm so excited to have you in my living room. This is a whole new format for everyone listening because I'm actually at the table with Michael. I'm delighted to be here, man. So exciting. We live less a half a mile apart. I know, right? I was looking at how close that was, so that's good. It's convenient. So we're going to talk, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about boys, which I love. But And so let's just dive in. I've given everyone sort of an overview of who you are, and I definitely got more user questions than usual, or more listener questions than usual this go around. So we talk a lot here about dinner and Mm -hmm. making time to get to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And sort of the research I always pull on actually is from Columbia, um, the CASA Institute, who does that, runs a report every year on just the impact family dinner has Mm -hmm. on you know, lower rates of depression, better grades, lower suicide rates, less use, drug use, all those kinds mm-hmm. of things, because that's what they're looking at. Um, and it's really been a really powerful tool, I have to say, in my household, for sure. It's something that we definitely make a make happen six nights a week. And I just love that time to connect with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of things come up at the dinner table, right? So, so we're getting a lot of that. I feel like that's a very safe space for kids to sort of come clean about what's gone down in the day um, and complain from time to time about, you know, so-and-so being mean or, you know, this teacher doing that and that teacher doing that. And I know as parents, we just want to fix everything. Mm. So can we start there? <laughs> like yes. How, what, what happens? Like what, what do we do when we get all that input and, and we just, you know, we just want to fix it. Well, here's a very common question I get, Mia. Um, my daughter, uh, she has a friend, and I don't think that friend treats her that well. And I, uh, I want to do something about it. And I always say, it's typically a mother. I, I say, would you have wanted your mother to intervene mm. in, in a friendship you had in fourth grade? Would you have wanted your mother or father to step in? Now, I was uh, asked to consult to an independent school in the Boston area two years ago. And the father had a fourth grade daughter with an up-down relationship with her friend. They were on again, off again in fourth grade. Oh, my God. Is is that common (laughs) in fourth grade? Yep. And the father, a lawyer, wrote a six-page legal brief against his daughter's friend. Oh, my Um, gosh. And... Uh, presented it to the school to have it fixed. Wow. And uh, then essentially said, 
you know, if you don't fix this, then you're condoning bullying. And it's a complete misunderstanding of what children's social relationships are and where the line is between uh, 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 two girls trying to forge a friendship, pretty intense, and with occasional cruelty, uh, which is unfortunately in human beings common, and actual systematic bullying. But because the father was an expert mm. at interviewing for pain, whenever his, once he got on this case, whenever his daughter came home, he, he would say, what did Susie do to you today? What, what went wrong? And then he would, would take notes. And, and that is, that is a kind of an extreme case of some parenting that I'm seeing a lot of. Uh, you so, like, mean, Susie might not have had anything going on that day, right? Like, but when you remind her, is that part of it? Like, we're when we bring up stuff like that, that we're actually reminding Susie that something went wrong that day with the friend, even if it didn't? Well, we tend to not ask, so how'd you handle things well today? How'd right. you cope with things? And, oh, by the way, was today a day when you were mean to your friend rather than your friend being mean to you? Yeah. But if you only ever ask when your 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 child's friend is mean to him or her, they're going to tell you. Yes. Right? Because you're asking for a story about the victimization of your sweet angelic child. Right. Right. So how often does uh, a child say to her mother, don't worry, mom, I took care of Susie today. I totally excluded her. I made her <laughs> cry. Right. right. It was deeply satisfying. <laughs> right. right. Well, especially not a girl. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, 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 you don't get that. So most parents are getting, are unwittingly asking for a one-sided story about their child's friendships and are getting it. Now, is, am I denying that my child was occasionally uh, treated badly? I, I don't know, but I do you have room for a little longer story here for a second? Of course. Okay. So when my daughter was into Joanna, she's now 33 yep. today. Oh. Um, when she was in third grade, she was padding around after this other girl who was so talented, so tall, so beautiful, so athletic. So she was, you know, she was the superstar of third grade. And... Um, <laughs> Our daughter Joanna was padding around after her, and we thought that this girl, uh, whose name was fabulously Augusta, Ooh. was not treating our daughter Joanna. So I'd say, Joanna, do you think Augusta's a, a she, she's my friend, Dad? She'd say. All she wanted was to be, all she wanted was to be invited to go Halloween trick or treating with Augusta, and she pandered to Augusta, and uh, flattered Augusta, and she got the invitation. Things calm down after that, but it was horrible to watch. Yeah. We just hated watching it. So then it turned out uh, at the end of fourth grade, Augusta's family moved out to the suburbs to some different school system and, and it was lost. But years later, um, I was getting an ice cream cone in Davis Square, Somerville, and this college-age woman who was scooping some ice cream for me said, Dr. Thompson, is that you? Uh, it's Augusta. Oh, my and gosh. <laughs> Of course, I didn't recognize her. I hadn't seen her since fourth grade. And um, uh, I said, Gusta. And I had this surge of fury, right? Yeah. And she said, Joanna and I were such good friends in elementary school. And I thought, 
really? We hated you, right? Oh, my and gosh. And yeah. I thought, you know, the parental point of view is not the kid point of view. Right. And you, when you're a parent, you have to sort out that your perspective on your child's life may be, in fact, quite different from your child's perspective on her life or his life. And you can't force them to experience their friends the way you do. And they can't, and, and they are right to build a wall and keep you out if you're too judgment, judgmental of their friends because they know they're working it out. So an eighth grade girl said to me once, I said, why don't you talk to your mother about your social life? And she said, because she holds a grudge against my friends much longer than I do. Oh, interesting. And I thought, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and I've been there. Yeah, it's funny. And it's funny because you're, you're saying moms and I've, it's with the girls, I find that say it, my husband is, you know, is very protective. And yeah. so he, you know, he really doesn't want them to, obviously, who wants their child to be hurt by a friend. Right. But yeah, it's interesting. And oh, in my, my book, Best Friends, Worst Enemies, the opening scene is my daughter's uh, 12th birthday party in this town. Yeah. And how the cool girls... It was a sleepover with a lot of girls, oh, gosh. and the cool girls wanted to be in one room, and they pushed the, the in their opinion the less cool girl, including my daughter, the birthday girl, into, <laughs> at her house, at her house, oh, my into gosh. the other room, and I wanted to go in and slap them all. I was enraged. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because you know, right now I have an eighth grade boy, yeah, and he broke his foot, yeah, and at the school he goes to, he's been there since he was, you know. Five, yeah, and they have a big eighth grade trip. It's a yeah. week away, and he broke his foot two days before the trip, uh, and it was on a boat, and he couldn't go. Yeah, so I just had him home for a whole week. Oh my gosh, he's such a good sport. He taught me so much in that week about yeah. just being yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just it's so interesting because what like I was ha I was realizing in the midweek that he was really excited with the little adventures we were having. I mean, for the most part, he was icing and putting up his foot. Yeah. But in between that, we like got to go to the mall together while the girls were at school. We, we took him out to dinner, my husband and I, you know, later than we would normally eat alone mm -hmm. to a fancier restaurant than we would usually go to. Like, so we got to do all these things with him and he was happy as a clam. You know, he was totally excited to have this attention with his parents. And mm -hmm. for him, it was like a great, closure and you know every time we went to school people would feel bad for us and you know so then I would feel bad and then I got just thinking about eighth grade and I was like nothing that I'd experienced in eighth grade you know it was hard it was awful and and here I am doing fine right like you know years later so it's just this blip and fourth grade is even more of a blip right because it's even longer ago so right. it's amazing how that how that works okay so is there a difference between, so we, you gave a story about, a, about girls. So how, how do friendships differ between boys and girls? I mean, I have both, but like, is there, is it different for them? Like, are they experiencing it different? So when some, when a boy has a bad day, is that different than when a girl has a bad day in no, terms of friendships? They're all human beings and they, we all have feelings and, and, and we, our feelings can get hurt and we all have yearnings and longings to be cared for and respected. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I work at an all boys school. Yeah. So, I mean, boys, um, uh, yearnings for respect and affection are, always on display to me and I don't mm. have to, I don't have to compare it in my mind to 
uh, girls combing each other's hair. Right. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, so they display it differently. Or they display it differently, but are the, are, are the feelings the same? The, the There are a few differences uh, which researchers have found. Boys tend to play in larger groups. Okay. Uh, boys uh, play, and this, who's this going to shock, uh, tends to be more activity-based. Yeah. And girls tend to be more word-based. Mm. So that girls... Uh, uh, or, but at one and two and two and a half, boys and girls in preschool play without reference to gender. Doesn't right. matter whether you're a boy or girl. Right, it's right, whether right. You, it's temperament that dictates who's a good buddy. And when and, does that change? Uh, around three, oh. the girls oh. start to band together and say the boy, boys play too rough. That's what they say. They say it's the girls who pull away from the. The boys. The, the boys. Mm. And the girls then engage in more fantasy play, more word play. And the boys are playing actually physically rougher. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes them a while to figure out they've been abandoned. And then they become, by age four, the enforcers of gender exclusive play. We okay. don't play the way the girls do. The way the girls play is stupid and they all sound like a little chauvinist pigs. Okay. And then there are about 20% of boys who are kind of sorry because they they like the girl style play. Got it. And then there are about 20% of the girls, my daughter was one of them, very good athlete, not that great conversationalists, who like the boy style play, but they're excluded. Interesting. I mean, uh, unless a girl, uh, a girl athlete has to be really good yep. to get into the boys game because generally they're going to exclude a girl. Um, and the girls are going to exclude a boy. Uh, uh, but some boys will will prefer the style of play of girls. So do boys need, I did get a question from a listener about her son being in a class with, with less boys and her wondering if one, having one good friend was, was okay for that age. Like I think he's in fifth grade. So it was okay for that age boy yes, one, or, one good or whether you need more. One good friend saves your life, but boys tend to want more or the average boy tends to want more of a pack than the average girl. Got it. The average girl may have a smaller group uh, of friends, more intense. Girls get into uh, trios, which are, of course... I've got one of Des- those. Because <laughs> yes. they're always two talking about the third. Yes. Right? <laughs> We've got a trio. Trio is one, one of the most stable human configurations, but they're never actually peaceful because one leg of the relationship is n- never as strong as the other two legs of the relationship. So that they're, and so that's what you talk about. Got it. Uh, the two get together and talk about the third. And yeah. then sometimes it shifts and. The one who was the talked about one then becomes the, the talker and somebody else is never mind. It's it's trying to track this. Yeah. Is for parents insanity. Um, what you mainly want to know is that your child has a friend. And if this fifth grade boy in a class with more girls than boys has a friend, in my opinion, he's good to go. If he has an appetite for more boy groups, then the parents need to arrange that after school or right. in a summer camp. Got it. Yeah. 
Um, and do you feel like at every stage, everybody needs that one friend? I'm trying to think. I don't know that my kids experience that every no. year. No. Yeah. Uh, in fact, one of the problems with parents now is there's this romanticization of the best friend forever, the BFF. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have seen a class of kindergarten girls driven completely insane by three mothers who all think their child has to have a BFF. Mm. And... It becomes such a demand. Yes. There's there's some kind of clueless, clueless, not quite there uh, yet girls who are going to be fine friends, but they're a little bit dazed and confused in kindergarten. And they yeah. can't make and sustain a best friend. If your mother thinks you have to have one or somebody else's mother thinks you have to have one, you, you might feel bad because you don't you don't see it. You, it's interesting you, you don't know how to do it because three kids later it's my third yeah, who finally yeah. has a good friend yeah and but what's so interesting to me is she still has that like triad drama but right. it's with a whole other set of people so right. that's not even with her like she has one friend who like you know that's the person who she feels comfortable going to her mother she would go tell her anything they're just like they're there for each other no matter what other drama is going on but that doesn't mean that she doesn't want this other you know what i mean that she doesn't want this other so, person to do but the the bottom the line of that for me is you don't get to pick your child's social style yeah. And you don't get to pick your child's social journey. Yes. And yeah. if you think you can do that, you are completely misguided. And you always have to ask, when you want to intervene into a child's friendship, would I have wanted my mother or father to do this for yes. me? Yeah, I love that. And question. nine times out of ten, the answer comes back, no. no. All right. So we're in this. So And it sounds like, because it sounds like this problem is not new. Of parents wanting to intervene, or, or are they intervening more? I mean, have we always had that instinct, but it used to be that we didn't intervene as much? That's right. Okay. So, I mean, we've always had the instinct to protect our children. Right. But I think uh, certainly my parents' generation didn't think it was any of their business. Right. And now, this, this most dedicated, conscientious, loving, highly informed, uh, but way too active. Uh, generation of parents that you're addressing and that I'm addressing. Part of what we're saying is easy, easy development is is in charge here. You're not in charge, right? Uh, you have to respect development. Take a step back, listen. Don't try and fix it. Yeah. Well, I remember as a class. I mean, I was so grateful to be in a very thoughtful school at the time, and I remember there was just some out of control situation. I don't even remember what it was, and just all these parents judging some child. And yes. it was like, this child is in, I think it was like second or third grade. Like it was, this child was small, <laughs> you know? And it's right. like a child in second grade. I mean, maybe they can't be a bully, but uh, you know, in the end it was just like this, we just need to love upon this child. Like we can't all, you know, we, this is, this child isn't going to ruin our kids' lives. You know, it, it's, a child's seven or eight years old. Like, they can't have those kind of thoughts. It's us who are being those thoughts. And it's usually <laughs> a boy. And Trying give him a break. Boy. Yeah. Um, so when I was consulting to a private school, uh, elementary school, I watched the mothers of only child girls form a mm. vigilante mob. Oh, God. And, uh, uh, and take it all out. They would scapegoat and demonize a boy. Mm. An impulsive, loud, somewhat out of control. That first they would start 
looking askance at the boy's mother. Then they'd stop inviting the boy to birthday parties by second grade, and they'd socially isolate. The boy is a psychologist. And this is the parents versus the, the kids. The, the parents yeah. would become actually a, 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 a bully group because they had decided that um, the boy was ruining their daughter's learning environment for which they were paying such good money. So right. it was hysterical to me. When my granddaughter, Aubrey, went to a little Montessori school in New Hampshire, she came back. She was four. She came back with these stories about... <laughs> This boy, this out of this bad boy, chase the bad boy. And uh, she, I don't, I hope he's not there on my birthday. I don't want him to get my oh, cupcakes. <laughs> and my, my granddaughter was so ferocious about this boy, ch- this boy, come on in this tiny little, this but school. it was, uh, you know, she was running for, queen of the mm. pre-K mm-hmm. and she thought it would be helpful to have a villain yeah. and all the girls would get together and discuss Chase's bad behavior. And I am proud to say my daughter told me in the grocery store once that Chase's mother came up to her and said, um, you know, I really appreciate how nice Aubrey has been to Chase because a lot of the other parents and kids don't treat him that well. Mm. But uh, I'd heard the story yeah, of, from your Chase daughter. The, uh, of, from of Chase your the villain, but my daughter was pleased also that Aubrey was in fact nice to this boy, even if she retailed the stories. But these are the kinds of things, come on, four years old, right. an impulsive, slightly out of control, active boy. I did in fact at a parent event where some grandparents, my wife and I came. I, at the I school. Got to, at the, at mm-hmm. this little Montessori mm-hmm. school. Yeah, we met the boy and he was, he was just a, a, a four-year-old boy. boy. <laughs> yeah, of course. So he so, turned out not to be the devil. So what happens then? Like, and then I have. I'm going to move on because this is not a question I thought I was going to ask. But what happens when the parents are doing this to a child with the school? Like, does that shift the experience for the child? Because child in the within the school. Like, does then the school start treating the child... Like, so when parents are coming together to band against mm-hmm. it and they're feeling like they're paying all this money and yeah, this yeah. child is out of control, like, I mean, I'm assuming their goal is <laughs> to get this kid to leave it, the school. It puts the school administrators on edge. Yeah, um, Because okay. they think, uh, well, we've got dissatisfied customers, but what they want is one kid's head on a platter. And we right. think he's a... And it takes courage on the part of school administrators to, to say, step, step up. look... This kid's developing. We've got an eye on him. We're, we've got some supports for him. And this is what public schools do. They, you can't drive a kid out of public school. Right. Um, right. But in private schools, there are people who think for their tuition dollar, they, they have the right to do that. Yeah, totally. Take some courage. Thinking of a case right now. Well, and then it, it's hard for the teachers because they're, you know, they're in that position yeah, too. Yeah, they're under yeah. the gun. And probably thinking a little less about the marketing plan and the en- enrollment than the, than the school is. <laughs> right. So how, what can we do? What can we do to support our boys? Because, I, I mean, it, it's interesting as a, as a mom having this conversation and being on this side, like I'm, you know, I'm I'm a grown person who has three children and I'm hitting the like, how how do you find a voice as a woman, you know, now as an adult? So there's a point where it changes, where where men rise to the top, and I don't know what women, you know, and w- women aren't. So there's a point where women lose their voice. But I feel like in school, what you're saying is the boys 
have girls have more of a voice than boys do, or they're more catered to than boys are. Girls outperform boys in school. By fourth grade, they're slightly ahead. By eighth grade, they're oh, even more ahead. And by 12th grade, they are far ahead. Okay. Two thirds to three quarters of the valedictorians in the United States are young women. Um, there are 56% of college graduates in the United States are young, excuse me, 58% of college graduates in the United States are young women. Okay. 56% of graduate degrees are growing young women. Since we took the shackles off women and girls in school, since we let them go into physics and chemistry yeah. rather than sending them into home economics, yeah. Yeah. there was a systematic conspiracy to keep girls from performing in right. school. There was hundreds of years. Yeah. I don't deny it. Yeah. And the feminist revolution changed that. Yeah. But now we find that girls, boys have been flatlining in schools. Okay. Maybe a slight uptick over the last 50 years and just girls zoomed by them. Okay. I mean, it's, it's an amazing graph to see. Okay. Girls have just gone by them. Then they hit a wall. Right. In industry. Yes. If, okay. uh, 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 uh a young woman engineer joins a department of uh, engineering at a university. She may be the only woman in the department. Right. Uh, a woman may choose to become a pediatrician, even though in her heart she's a research scientist. Because she knows there are going to be more women in pediatrics. And she might be uh, a lonely uh, female researcher. So the glass ceiling... And all of those cultural barriers to women are still there. But in and school... And post-college. Like, po- they're, they're happening yeah. at college. But okay. girls passed boys in school, academically, in the United States in 1982. Okay. And they pulled even in science and math yeah. in 2004. Yeah. There are now more girls taking pre-calc and calculus than boys in this country. Yeah. Okay? So, they did it. Yeah. A generation of teachers saw to it that girls were starting to realize their full potential in school. That was not the case when right. I was a boy. This right. had been in my lifetime. But we now have to look at ways in which the school environment does not work as well for boys. Okay. So, so and as parents, what, what can we do? Because, well, actually, back to the school environment, and then let's go to the parents. But back to the school environment, what's interesting is I have, a, I have two girls as well. And watching how they're treated and coddled and favored right. is actually not any easier. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't, and and it's nice. Yes. It's nice to have a child who's favorited by the teacher. Right. But, but in the end of the day, when you really think about it, it's actually not that nice yeah. <laughs> because it, it, no, it Ra- promotes Ra- weird behavior. Rachel Simmons wrote a book about it called the curse of the good girl. Yeah. And, and being taught to be nice and obedient does make you more successful in school. And boys resist it. Yeah. They think this is a plot to make, to demasculinize us. Yeah. Because by age four, boys are thinking, all right, I've got this journey to manhood. I don't know how the hell I got there. <laughs> and, and, but I sense that doing everything that my woman elementary teacher wants me to do is not going to get me closer to manhood. So they tend to band together and do some antisocial things. Um, they fight school mm. as a group to prove to each other that they have street cred as boys. 
And some of them actively make war. But in my experience, and I've been a school consultant for 35 years, whenever I find a group of boys who are making war on a teacher, they have figured out she doesn't like boys much. Mm. Or that she prefers girls. If you interview boys, third grade boys and fifth grade boys, and ask them, who do the teachers prefer? They say, the girls. If you interview girls and say, who do the teachers prefer? They say, the girls. So boys are an obstacle. I look, I started out as a classroom teacher. It is impossible. I was a middle school social studies teacher. It is impossible to get through a week of public school teaching without wishing the boys were a little quieter. Mm. They were a little more like the girls. But I've written that when the boys figure out that the teacher is making the girls the gold standard for behavior and is always finding the boys deficient because they're not meeting the girl gold standard, once they realize that's the trap they're in, then they start to fight. Got it. It's interesting because we, we had a teacher once who, I don't know that she favored boys, but she definitely like leaned toward boys. Mm -hmm. And it was a very different, and it was for my boy. <laughs> so it was a good teacher to have. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's interesting because you could tell, like I, it's, you know, the difference, like you can tell the difference right, right. away. Um, and right. it's not that she didn't love her girls too, but she definitely loved boys. Right. And that came out in everything that she did. And, and, and the boys felt loved and did they thrive? The, in her the boys thrived. The boys felt loved. Um, were the girls miffed? No. Okay. I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. Cause I didn't have a girl to be honest, oh. but, um, I, in that class I had a boy, yeah. um, but and it's interesting because in a schools that that my kids are in a Waldorf school, it actually sometimes is heavier female than male by the end, yeah. you know, by the end of middle school. And this particular class stayed heavily male, right? Um, you know, because it was a, a group of understood boys. Yes, which is interesting, right? And the Waldorf teacher travels with the kids. Yeah, so they yeah, the yeah. Same. This particular yeah. one had to leave because yeah. her husband got sick. But yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. You can feel the different energy when right. when a teacher leans toward. Well, I'm always. always working with teachers uh, on their the way to manage boys in school because I believe you have to have high expectations for boys. But I think it's really important not to be afraid of boys. Mm -hmm. And I talk to high school teachers, and this is less relevant maybe for your uh, no. podcast, but um, if there's a group of rowdy 11th grade boys, and some of them are huge now, you know, <laughs> And they're being unattractive and they're using a uh, 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 terrible language. And if they see a teacher start down the hall and see them and she or he takes an escape route mm -hmm. that is, doesn't walk up to them and address them, um, the boys know that the teacher scared them. And is scared of boys in packs and has chosen to flee. And that teacher is useless to boys. You've got to have every teacher in a school has to be able to walk up to a boy, even if he's six foot five, and say, or a group of boys, and say, gentlemen, well, what's happening? Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. You have to be able to do that. 
they're boys. They may be gigantic boys, but, but they are still boys. boys at heart. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And so, so that brings us back to like this idea of, you know, I got a lot of questions about, okay, so here we are in this time, like how it feels a little crazy here in the U S for anyone who's in the U S. So how do we raise, you know, thoughtful, like thought, and is that even the right question to be asking like thoughtful, mindful boys? Like, how do we, like, maybe we can't change how they are and, and what they're, what their instincts might be or what our instincts about them might be. I don't, I don't know, but that I got a lot of questions about this. Like, and I felt like they were more toward how do we change boys rather than. Yeah. You know so what I, I really reacted. There was a New York times reporter. Somebody had interviewed me a couple of times, but she wrote a piece about how we should all be raising feminist sons. And I read it in the New York times and it thoroughly annoyed me. Mm. And um, uh, then NPR invited me and her on the uh, we had a discussion, discussion about what I what I said said is I don't want boys to be turned into something right political um, and the idea that a feminist boy has all the good attributes and a non-feminist boy is therefore a Neanderthal I mean mm-hmm. they, these the, this is troubling to me and when it was a call-in show and. A woman called in and actually came down on my side. She said, well, I'm, I wouldn't want to be raising a feminist boy. She said, but I, I've always thought it'd be important to raise my son not to be a jerk. Mm. And I thought, well, there it is. You raise you raise your son not to be, be a, a jerk. jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and that covers it. Yeah. You don't have to politicize it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I feel like in that whole conversation – there's the boys and the girls, but there's also kind of like the masculine and the feminine. Right. So, I mean, I have three kids. Yeah. My husband and I are the same parents. Yeah. Like for three kids. Yeah. And I happen to have, like, I we happen to at the moment have an eighth grader who's like so thoughtful, so kind, has been writing poetry all week with his right. broken foot for his teachers. Like, right. and then I have a daughter who has maybe a more masculine energy who's like, you know, acts a lot more how one might describe a boy would in terms of like being strong and, and, and so I just, and it's them. I feel like it has nothing to do with me. Like, I don't feel like I did anything. And and maybe it's not even great to call that masculine energy. Maybe it's just, she's just a ferocious sixth grade girl. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so in that, you know, and, and, and then I have this, you know, very mindful boy and, and, you know, and he is, and, you know, that's great. And I don't know that I did anything to sway either one. To right. Be either you did. You, you had him first. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. Right. I so did. that I tends to make first. him responsible. You know, the first child thing. Is it the rule bound first child. Yeah. I'm, yeah. A, I'm a second child. I'm a first child. I've, so I've never, I've never bad. seen a rule I didn't want to break. <laughs> okay. So, right. So the girl's the second child. So maybe that's it. That's interesting. <laughs> well, especially if the older one and my older brother's a professor at the University of Illinois. And he's very serious. And I've spent my growing up tweaking him and and trying to get around him. And, and that stays with you forever. You know, I'm a little bit of a troublemaker. Yeah. Um, and I always identify with troublemakers mm. in school, which is one reason why I think I'm a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what can we do to help our sons not be jerks? What can we do at home, not at school? But that you just address it. I mean, there it is. That's jerky behavior. Okay. Right? Yeah. Not, you don't, oh, I tell women, don't try and raise 
a sensitive new age guy <laughs> who's going to be a wonderful boyfriend uh, and not the disappointing boyfriend you had <laughs> earlier in your life. That is not what you should do. And it was actually the anthropologist Margaret Mead okay. who put me on to what the way to focus on this. Uh, anthropologists are not supposed to pick winners or losers. Right. They're supposed to be objective about society. But somebody once pushed Margaret Mead to say, what societies do you kind of really love and admire? Mm. What societies? And they pushed her. I read the interview and they pushed her to say, and she said, I like societies that are deliberately raising boys to be good fathers. Mm. And I thought, that's it. You, you look at your totally disorganized, hopelessly flaky uh, uh, mess of an eight-year-old boy or 11-year-old boy. And you think, all right, this man, is, he's going to be a good father. This boy is going to be a good man and a good father someday. Not a sensitive new age uh, tuned into all feminist issues. He's going to be a good father to his children. And when you look at a boy that way, I think it it it, it sets you on the right course. Mm -hmm. I try and do that at Belmont Hill, where I have, uh, you know, 440 boys for whom I'm the psychologist. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, these are these guys are going to be dads someday. Yeah, I love that. That's a good thing to visualize. I've heard that before, too. I like that. Have you? Yeah, uh, I like that a lot. I said in my book, It's a Boy. Maybe I, I read it from you. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. If, I, if it was brilliant, it came from me. Um, I said to moms, especially moms who were raised without brothers, or moms who may, you know, have had a divorce or something, get a picture of an older man you really admire, a grandfather, an uncle, a coach. Get a picture of that man and put it on the wall of your son's room. And when you go in and you see all the clothes on the floor mm. <laughs> and you think, oh my God, he's going to be a slob. He's going to be a mess. Look at the picture of the older man and think, no, no, he's, he's probably going to be more like that because I want him to be like that. And, and, and he'll get there. Yeah. And that man on the wall might've been actually, a very disorganized or um, eight-year-old eight eight boy. Yeah, well, and I think that that's so important with everything that we've talked about today because each thing is just a step. Each thing is just a year. Each thing right. is just a phase. And and an eight-year-old boy shouldn't be like a 40-year-old man. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I mean, that's an eight-year-old right. boy will become a 40-year-old man someday, and he's going to have to go through all these phases to become that 40-year-old right. man. So w there's something about gender. And one a woman editor of a magazine, I've, I've never been able to track down where I read it, but I memorized it instantly. Mm. Not everybody loves this, but she said, um, when you look at a little girl, mm -hmm. you can always see the threat of a woman. But when you look at a little boy, you can rarely see the promise of the man. Huh. Now, I, when you see my granddaughter, Aubrey, you can see the threat of the woman. Interesting. She, she's trying to run her kindergarten class. She's a classic bossy girl, and I adore her. Yeah. I absolutely adore her. But you see the woman in her. Yeah. You can see it. And 
for the boys in their kindergarten class, not really. I mean, you you can't see the promise of a man, so we have to hold that. Yeah, because otherwise we expect it, right? That's right. Yeah, I love or that. Or otherwise we get disappointed. Right, yeah. which which doesn't do anybody any good, no, ourselves it or them. It doesn't. All you right. know, I have all these big boys who, and the day they graduate from high school, I call them young men after that. Mm-hmm. But I don't. And the faculty sits around in the faculty dining hall just before graduation. And, you know, these guys are going off to good colleges and to play sports at a very high level. And they're great teammates and they work really hard. And, 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 and the faculty says, remember, remember him in seventh grade? Remember he never did any homework? Remember how he just lied to you about it? He'd lie to your face. He'd make up stuff all the time. And we regale each other with these stories of these boys who were evasive, scared. Uh, uh, they weren't together. Uh, and they're together now. And, and it's, not because, yeah, it's, it's not because we did a miracle. Right. It's because they grew up. Right. So interesting. And, and their parents and their school held them accountable. So, and for any parents who are listening to this and are feeling um, like just disappointed in, in school, so maybe they're, they're not at all by school that's really thinking yeah. about boys, um, somebody did email in and say that, you know, when her son graduated middle school, um, you know, there was, I, I think she was talking about honor roll or something or straight A's and, you know, there was clearly 18 girls and like mm-hmm. three boys. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so what do we do with that? Like, do we just, is that okay? Do we just let that be? Like, how do we? Well, I think a parent has to say to a boy, um, are, in your mind, is this, is school something that girls do and you're not going to do? Right. You're going to outsource being good at school to girls. There are a lot of middle school boys who think, oh, well, they have good handwriting and the teachers seem to prefer them. Screw that, right? Right. And one of the dangers of coeducation, and I am not saying that single-sex education is superior. Mm -hmm. There are problems in each. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't send my son to an all-boys school because he wouldn't have been comfortable there. He wasn't an athlete. Mm. Uh, He preferred the company of girls. He went on to art school where two-thirds of (laughs) his classmates, classmates, and he's going to be an art teacher. He's training to be a teacher. And... Uh, it, Belmont Hill would have been a misery for him. Got it. Three seasons of uh, uh, required sports, but but I, what I what I want um, it, it I've, I've lost the thread of, of, of where I've had it. I digressed. Um, I, I think it's important to say to boys, we're going to hold you to account, and. You have to do well in academics. You can't outsource it to girls. You can't imagine that a school is a girl thing and then throw it away. Um, You find the teachers you like, who like you, and work hard for them. Hmm. Despite the fact that the boys around you might not be doing that. Despite the fact, yeah, you have to hold your own son accountable. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Because in every school... The top 25% of a class is 70% girls and 30% boys. That's the top quarter of the class. And the bottom quarter of the class is 70% boys and 30% girls. And some of those boys, the sort of charismatic outlaws, are pretty masculine, pretty sexy, pretty 
attractive. We like, you know, we like movie villains. They, yeah. they, we like them, and and they have a lot of power. So you don't want your son to join that group. Yeah, interesting. Well, and it's funny because I, I definitely have a very quirky, not quirky, that's the wrong word, but he's pretty, he's coming to himself in, in eighth grade. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's confident in what he is. He does not have, he's not, he, he's okay in the class, but he doesn't have a good friend. Right. Um, and he's really, you know, he has u- utilized the teachers, you know, right. he's done all this. I'm totally just lost the track of what I was going to say so, about that. But he's going to get to high school yeah. and he's going to find a boy like him. He'll have yeah. a larger exactly. social pool. Exactly. And the wonderful thing fine. about quirky boys in middle school is that high school gives them a larger pool of quirky boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then the great thing about quirky boys in high school is they get to go to college yeah. with, and they... They get to choose a college. I, I see some sort of nerdy computer boys who seem a little odd and isolated, and then they go to MIT, and yeah. it's like nerd heaven. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. There's well, and then I, I just went back to my twenty fifth, twenty fifth high school reunion, yeah. and it's like so much changes. <laughs> you know, and no the, the people who you didn't know, you know, the people who were cool and you know on the football team, you know may still operate like that. And those people who you totally discarded in high school are off doing amazing, great amazing things. things. Amazing things. Amazing things. Uh, you know, I know what I was going to say when Please. I lost my train of thought, which is that, <clears throat> you know, he really has found himself, but th- that desire to be like other people mm-hmm. is, was new for us this year as parents uh, of really wanting to like fit in and, oh, and be like, school. yeah. And that's, and, and that's normal, which is, which is so interesting and and i didn't realize (laughs) before i was you know in it and did the research (laughs) yeah yeah that is that's developmental all right well i think we covered most of the questions so thank you thank you so much and is there any like parting advice that you feel like we should all know as parents and it's real simple enjoy your child Mm. that your all of your worry does not help yes that much and 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 this is a hard one. Parental presence doesn't always add value. Hmm. This generation of parents think if they are there, uh, that that things will be better for the child. Right. And I think there are times when the parental presence robs the child of psychological ownership of the moment. Why I'm I wrote a book about sleepaway summer camps. Yeah. I think that sometimes it's great for a child to make a friend who her mother doesn't even know. Yeah. And her mother doesn't even know the mother of the friend, right? It's just her friend. Yes. And it's her activity and it's her relationship with the counselor. Yeah. And always having the parent there means a child thinks has to think, well, I'm having this experience, but is my mother appreciating that I'm having this experience. Is she having a different experience of this? And I got into a, a wrangle with a, over at the Dallin School in Arlington once. With my, I said, attending all of your uh, child soccer games is not necessarily at value. This mother said, very huffy. We've always gone to our daughter's games. I said, me too. It was my biggest form of entertainment for years, every Wednesday and Saturday. I said, I'm, it doesn't always add value. And she said, yes, but we're the kind of family that always goes to it. And I said, yes, I know. 
But for your daughter, it's being out on the field. It's being with her teammates. It's how tough the opponent is and whether her coach thinks she's playing well. And having to filter through, is my dad thinking I'm playing well? Or is my yeah. mom? That's actually something of a burden. Well, and for all the moms listening, <laughs> I mean, we spend so much time here working on how to find times for ourselves because what ends up happening, especially like when you hit fifth grade as a mom is you're so depleted because you're giving, giving, giving and showing up to right. all these things. And, you know, people are just depleted. They have, they literally don't have more to give. Yeah. So they're showing up to all these things fine to check off some boxes, right. but there's nothing really to give. So what what I find is as you start to like really dial down and be like, okay, uh, this soccer game, that's important to me because I enjoy watching soccer or, you know what? I hate soccer right. and I've never loved going to those games right. and it really is just a box I'm ticking off. And then, you know what? Don't go to the soccer game. Take a nap. Exactly. Get ahead of dinner. Like do whatever you need to do because in the end it's your energy that's coming back to them. Right. And it is not harming your child. No. So I, I too, the ending of that kind of conflict I got in with that mother, I, we, three times she acted kind of upset that I would say that parents don't add value. I said, I realized I was stuck with her. I said, is there a young woman in the audience who played sports? And could you speak to this? And I, blessedly, there was a 27-year-old woman in the audience, oh, probably a young teacher. <laughs> and I said, did you always want your parents at your games? And she said, well, I did when I was little. Mm -hmm. But later when I was older, I sometimes liked it if I could just come home and tell the story of the game to my parents. Mm. Yeah. I, it was my game, my story. Yeah. And my parents didn't see it. I could tell them. And that's what I'm talking about, psychological ownership. Don't be such an attentive parent that you own everything. Right. In your child's experience. Let them want, tell you. Right. Because they want to own it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you Mia, for your time. Thank you. All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed that episode. At the end of every episode, I go through three doable changes. And these are things that were shared in the episode that we could actually put into action to make change in our family lives. And I give three, but I always recommend choosing one thing a week and really deciding to do it putting dates in your calendar that support that thing or reminders in your phone, whatever it might be, and just commit to practicing and having a little bit of fun and experimenting and see what happens. And what I have found is that when I do this each week, focus on just one thing, at the end of the year, I actually have you know, somewhere between 40 and 50 new habits or practices that actually work in my life. And I found this with other members in the community. Whereas the old model I used to go with is I would wait until life got so frustrating that I needed a big change. And then I would try to change everything at once. And what would happen is I would go, go, go. And sometimes I'd make it a week. Sometimes I'd make it a month. But mostly I would make it a day or maybe two or maybe some days even two hours. And then something would happen. Somebody would get sick. A babysitter would cancel. Work would call. Whatever it was. And... I would go back to square one with no habits under my belt. So this is the way that I actually improve my life on a daily basis. So here are three amazing doable changes that Michael shared with us throughout his interview. Number one, just listen. 
Try just listening to your kids at family dinner or in the car or wherever you tend to talk. Notice your own desire to fix things, but then don't. Instead of asking what went wrong or focusing on a situation you find troubling, ask what went well today or some other open-ended question. All right, number two, let kids be kids. When behavior is bothering you, stop first and ask yourself if the behavior is appropriate to your child's age. If you don't know, look it up. That will give you that pause. This can be especially important for boys. Remember that your perception of a situation may not be your child's perception. Before you intervene, ask yourself, would I have wanted my parent to do this to me? And really take a deep breath and then move forward. All right. Number one, just listen. Number two, let kids be kids. And by the way, the way you would make these changes it's imp- and get them into your calendar is you would make that commitment. But instead of the changes being like some of them are like drink more water, these ones are more like have a meeting with my spouse, talk to the sitter, talk to the teachers, um, set an alarm on my phone so I remember to take a deep breath, wear an elastic band around my wrist at dinner so that I remember you know, not to try to fix things. Whatever it is, you're setting little tasks that will move you toward this thing. Does that make sense? All right. So number one, just listen. Number two, let kids be kids. Number three, this is a big one, skip a game. You don't have to go to every game your child plays in or every event your child is participating in. Pick a game to skip and schedule something you'll enjoy for that time. Let your child know you won't be there, but be neutral about it. Don't be dramatic. Don't be sad. Just be neutral. We can't raise kids who expect somebody to be there for them at every moment. They won't be resilient. Listen later when they tell you about that game because that is priceless conversation and it's something that we don't even always do when we're at the game because we have our own idea of what happened at the game that we don't even take the time to see it through their lens. So see, there's benefit in not showing up to everything and it really makes for great kids. So you'd have to give yourself permission for that and really work at it and make sure you put something in your calendar during that time. Know that the game is happening. Know that everything's you know happening to get your kid home, but hopefully that gives you that breathing space you need to be a better version of yourself, which is inevitably what your family needs. All right, you guys, I hope you love those three doable changes. I would love to hear about if you put any of them in action. Y'all know you can always email me at miaplansimplemeals.com. I'm on Instagram, which is my favorite place to connect. Feel free to direct message me and we'll have a conversation or go to this podcast and tell everyone on Instagram what you're doing because that way you'll actually inspire other people in the community too, which is how we all learn how to better ourselves as people and parents. All right, you guys, I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. Bye for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Plan Simple Podcast. If you loved what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give is to share the podcast with a friend. And if you really loved what you heard, if you want to go onto iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review, that really helps us get the best guests we can 
and improve the podcast so that we're serving up exactly what you want to hear. I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. Bye for now.